Church. If you could turn with me to Haggai chapter two, verse seven. As you know, Haggai and Zechariah are like post-exilic prophetic passages in scripture. And um, it was written around 530 years before Jesus is born. And of course, Malachi was the last in the Old Testament. And then you go into what's called the 400 years of silence. But, but I believe God was speaking even during that period. But we don't have scripture during that period of 400 years. So this is one of the, uh, the last books of the Old Testament. And so if you go to Malachi, turn the page a few, it'll come to Haggai. And um, the reason why I want to share this, because I feel that Haggai is prophesying to our period right now in 2022. Because what he says is pretty stunning. And I just want to give you a little backdrop of Haggai before I continue so that when we read the passage, you'll have a little bit of a context. As you know, Jeremiah prophesied after 70 years of being exiled, they could return back to Israel. And they were taken into captivity 586 BC by the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar completely destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took all the, the uh, uh, treasures from the temple into Babylon. Uh, but then after Babylon, Persia took over. And Cyrus, who was king of Persia, and Isaiah 45 talks about him, even though he doesn't know me, he's still anointed by me for my purpose, and God used him for the return of just a remnant to go back to rebuild the temple. And this is like after 46 years of being exiled. And so they return. And here's the thing that was amazing. Cyrus made a decree that all the treasury that was stolen by Nebuchadnezzar would be returned, but also out of his royal treasury, money would be given to rebuild the temple. And so here we have a prophetic picture of the uh, transfer of wealth from the unrighteous, a pagan king of Persia coming to the righteous, the people of Israel. But unfortunately, what happens is they lay the foundation and then Cyrus dies. And a new king comes into place, uh, Artaxerxes first. There were two Artaxerxes, so not to confuse with Artaxerxes uh, second, but the first one. And he receives an evil report about the Jewish people and he puts a pause, a stop, a halt to the building of the temple. So they go into this uh, 16-year pause and, um, and then he dies and Darius becomes king of Persia. And he reads the decree that Cyrus made and said, this decree cannot be changed. A king's decree has to be fulfilled. And so he resumes the rebuilding of the temple. So that's where Haggai comes in because he's now a prophet during this period of Darius. And most likely he was pretty old. He was maybe around 80 years old because when you read the text, it seems like he was there at the dedication of Solomon's temple uh, where they saw the glory come in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. So now, anyway, they're rebuilding the temple, but they're running out of money. So Haggai chapter 1, 2 is just a short book. is a fundraising letter. He's raising money to uh, finish building the temple. Um, and, and yet, in the midst of this, and he initially rebukes the people, you're building your own houses, uh, you know, but the, the temple, the house of God is left unfinished. And so bring down wood and let's finish the task. But he goes into a prophetic stream in verse seven, that's pretty stunning because I believe that he's prophesying to our period, and I'll explain this why, but, but I'll explain why, but let's read this together, starting in verse seven. I will shake all nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. To make sure that we're not talking about like spiritual wealth, we're talking about financial wealth, 
He says in verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 9, the latter glory of this house be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. We love your word. And we love Jesus, who is the word, who tabernacled with us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, Ephesians 1.17, the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of you as we get into the word this morning. And Lord, we pray for transformation. I pray for an impartation of faith, for revival, for transformation of our society, of nations. And we thank you, Lord God, that we're living in the most exciting time. I believe the early church fathers and the apostles in the New Testament long to see what we're seeing now. We give you all the praise, all the glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the title of this message is Revival and the Great Transfer of Wealth, because I feel we're in an epic season of transformation, but included in the transformation is the transfer of wealth, because it's going to take money to fulfill the Great Commission, to advance the kingdom of God, and it's going to take money to see social transformation, whether it's election or uh, whether it's building a church building or orphanage or evangelizing through church planting. But the thing I, I love about this passage is, is that we see multiple applications to prophecy. Haggai was prophesying for sure that, he, that God was going to finish building the temple and God's going to bless it and his presence is going to come. But I also believe that Haggai was prophesying to our period. Because in 2,500 years since this was written, this was written 530 BC, 520 BC, only twice in global history have we seen all nations shaken. So when he says, I'm going to shake all nations, I don't think he was just using literary language to say in a generic way, I'm going to shake Persia, or I'm going to shake some of the nations that are going to come afterwards, the Greek Empire or the Roman Empire. I believe he was talking about all nations. And I really believe that he's talking about our period where every nation has been shaken with COVID-19 since 2020. 200 nations have been shaken. But let me tell you, the first time it was shaken was in World War II. You may not know this, but every nation was involved in one way or the other, in World War II, you had to be aligned either with the Allied forces, United States, Great Britain, Soviet Union, or the Axis forces with Hitler, Germany, Italy, and Japan. And if you weren't, you were invaded by one of the other forces and your resources were taken. And so in order to be protected, it's just like gang, you know, turf here in Los Angeles, been in Crips and the Bloods, where I'm from. I'm from LA, for those who don't know. And, and so, you know, you had to have some kind of protection, so you were either part of the Blood or the, the Crips in order to be, be protected from the other gang members. So in the same way, in World War II, only eight nations declared themselves to be neutral. And so you had the Vatican, which considered themselves a nation. You had Switzerland, Sweden, Ireland, Spain, Portugal. But in reality, they weren't really neutral because even Spain gave arms to Germany uh, to fight uh, on behalf of uh, Nazi Germany. And so everyone was involved in some way or another. And it was a devastating war. 80 million people died in World War II. What was tragic about that number, 80% of the 80 million were civilian. So you talk about the Polish people. Of course, 6 million Jews died in the Holocaust. I mean, just the the atrocity of our, of our century and of all time. But you're talking about, you're talking about uh, 
19 million died in Manchuria, China, by the Japanese. You're talking about millions of Polish people died by both Hitler and also the Soviet Union under Stalin. And so you had the devastation of the war, and I don't know if you saw Saving Private Ryan, but that was a, a, a picture that really showed the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the atrocities and, and, the, and the, the death uh, and how that impacted families here in America. And so the nations were shaken. But after war ended, the war ended, of course, from 1939 to 1945, after the war ended, revival breaks out, and we're talking about glory coming, and it's a fulfillment of Haggai 2, verse 7. I'm going to shake all nations. I'm going to fill this house with glory. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. We had 50 years of massive global revival. Global shaking, but global revival. You have the outpouring of the Hebrides revival in 1948. A set of islands off of Scotland. And uh, according to Duncan Campbell, who was an evangelist revivalist of that time, he said on one island, Lewis Island, everyone got saved. Everyone. Every church building was filled to capacity four times a day, every day. They were meeting 7.30 because they worked, 9.30, 11.30, and 1.30 in the morning. And the point is, you could only go to one service a week. And it could be on a Tuesday night at 9.30, but that was your service. So what happens when a whole island or a whole city like Harrisburg gets saved? Where do you put the people? How many services are you going to have? That's why Lou Engel's been prophesying Stadium Christianity. And we've been going to stadiums to pray, but I believe they're building all the soccer stadiums, football stadiums for the church. Can I hear an amen? amen. And so we're coming into an amazing time because we see how cyclical these, these revivals are. And so we see the latter rain revival in Canada. Again, I'm not highlighting the United States. I'm talking about around the world. The latter rain revival in 1948 in Saskatchewan, Canada, how that impacted the globe. Even as we're singing the spirit, they came out of the latter rain. Pentecost didn't do that. Personal prophecy, uh, prophetic presbytery, uh, believing that apostles and prophets are for today, came out of 1948, the latter rain revival, the theology. And they were Assembly of God, Pentecostal Canada, that experienced that revival. Ten years later, you have the charismatic renewal with uh, Dennis Bennett in Van Nuys, St. Mark's Church, Episcopalian Church in 1958, and the charismatic movement just spread. And then 10 years later, you have the Jesus People Movement of 67, from 67 to 1977 in Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith and Lonnie Frisbee. And 20 million young people globally came to know the Lord in that revival. How many of you got saved during the Jesus People Movement? I see all these gray hair people, you know, like Rich and Georgian and Winnie and Charles and me and, you know, uh, the baby boomers, you know. Um, but we're still around and we're still alive and kicking and... Uh, and uh, we're serving the Lord. Uh, you know, I want to commend Charles and Ann because, and George and, and all those who are part of the baby boom that if they're here in this house after walking with the Lord over 50 years, they are finishing well. Can I hear an amen? They're finishing well. You know, my, my goal is just to love Jesus and I, I want to just love him when I first got saved and now 49 years later, I feel I love him more if that's even possible, but I do believe it's possible because love should grow. We're going from glory to glory in that sense as well. So we have the Jesus people movement, but then right after that was the third wave. Peter Wagner called it the third wave because he considered the Azusa Street the first wave in 1906, the charismatic renewal being the second wave, and third wave was brought by John Wimber. 
And John Wimber literally transformed, I mean, what he did in Australia, in England, New Zealand, around different parts of the world was stunning, stunning. And I was a vineyard pastor for one year. And so um, they asked me to leave because we got too controversial because we're having nightly meetings like Toronto. And uh, they got pretty wild. And so John asked me to shut it down or leave. But he actually said, we think you should continue, but not as a vineyard. So I remember Lou Angle and I walking out of the leadership meeting with the vineyard leaders. And I said to him, that was the nicest way of being kicked out of a movement that <laughs> they laid hands on us, blessed us, sent us out. But we were out because we love the Holy Spirit. We wanted more of the Holy Spirit. We didn't want to shut it down. We wanted more. But anyway, we were out, and that's when Cindy Jacobs called me up, and two weeks she had heard the word and said, you're not to join another network. I've called you to be an apostle. Uh, you'll be like Abraham, a father of many. You have churches in every continent. And it went way over my head. I had to process that word for one year. And I'm just going to be transparent here. Part of it is because as an Asian American, I never saw myself as leading Americans. I always looked to white Pastors, they're all my pastors, whether it is the John Wimber, whether it's Larry Tomsack, going back to the, the tag days, uh, and uh, Peter Wagner. But it, God is doing something where he's raising up people of color, he's raising up men and women, and he's bringing them forth in, in his kingdom in these days. And I want to just confess, each time I come to Harrisburg, I see more diversity it is truly an international fellowship of love taking place here. Can we thank God for that? This is what heaven looks like. For, so thank you for having a Korean speaker speak here at Life Center. But the point I wanted to make, though, was is that when we started this network, you know, we started out with 14 churches, HIM, and now we are now in over 65 nations. Again, it's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our sight. We just jumped in the river. Ezekiel 47, and the river has carried us. And uh, we have seen so much. Out of our network came the call prayer movement with Lou Engel. And uh, the Lord has just done so much. We pinch ourselves. And when we moved to California in 1984, Lou Engel has been a prophet in my life for 35 years. He prophesied two things. Number one, he said, Roe v. Wade will be overturned in our lifetime. And, uh, and then the second thing he said is that California is going to be pro-life. Now, at that time, the spirit of unbelief was on me for both words, you know. But seeing Roe v. Wade on June 24th overturn in our lifetime, way before, you know, we got to be 80 years old. I thought maybe when I'm 80 or 90, we'll see Roe v. Wade overturn. No, God is, we are entering in this historic Reformation revival season that, again, the apostles of old longed to see. But we see the revival breaking out after World War II. And I could go on and give you more examples, you know, of like the Voice of Healing revival of 48 with Oral Roberts. He was launched in 48 too. He started out with a, bought a used tent for $15. And, um, and he ends up building the City of Faith in Tulsa. But it was amazing how God used these revivals, including the evangelical Billy Graham, who's my hero. I had the privilege of meeting Billy Graham and spending two hours with him with Jack Hayford and Lord Ogilvie, who became the Senate chaplain. And after two hours of meeting at his hotel suite in Ritz-Carlton, Pasadena, which now is Langdon Hotel, but, but um, we're ready to leave. You know, I didn't say a word, 
during the two hours because I'm the youngest guy there and I'm just trying to receive everything from Billy Graham. I couldn't believe it. No one asked for us to have Billy Graham pray for us. It was just a few of us. So I raised my hand finally before we were, we were ready to dismiss and, and leave the hotel. I said, um, Dr. Graham, uh, would it be okay if you lay hands on us and give us your impartation of evangelism? And this is Billy Graham. He said, I will, but first I need an impartation from you guys. Will you lay hands on me? Give me what you have. And that was amazing that we laid hands on him and then Billy Graham laid hands on us. And so I, I just, it was like the highlight. Uh, just to meet him was a, a bucket list, so to speak. But to have him pray for you at the hands and it was one of the last crusades he did in 2004 in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl um, before he would start to just do online evangelism. I mean, he preached until he was 99. He passed away 2018, just preached until the very last day. It's just amazing. Well, when I grow up, I want to be like Billy Graham. How about you? Amen. And so we need to, you know, there's no retirement in God's kingdom. We talk about being refired up more and more, but no retirement. And so anyway, I'm so grateful to be serving the Lord even after 49 years of walking with the Lord. So we see the great revival, but if we're going from glory to glory and the glory of the latter house is going to be greater based on Haggai 2.7, what's going to happen now with COVID? The global shaking that's been taking place, 200 nations have been impacted. Now we haven't had as many deaths. 80 million died in World War II, but still 6 million have died globally. Over a million in the United States. And I know the numbers are inflated, but that's not the point. The point is, is that there's people have been devastated by this this. Uh, COVID, uh, 18,000 businesses in Los Angeles, California, and California have gone bankrupt. 430 corporations in the United States during this COVID. So you think about the jobs lost. And it's not just COVID. We hit like a perfect storm. We had the George Floyd incident and people rioting in the streets of Los Angeles. And by the way, the hypocrisy of the whole thing is that these Antifa people targeted Fairfax, Los Angeles, which is the Jewish community. No one else got touched, but it was a Jewish community that got persecuted and touched. We talk about racism, you know, because they're, they're protests against racism, but they were racist, anti-Semitic. And, and so we had that thing. We went through a lawsuit because we were locked down, and yet Newsom's coming commending the writers. He says, your voices must be heard. You will not be arrested, and uh, we bless you. And he said, God bless you comes from a Catholic background, but he's not saved. We're praying for his salvation. I'm praying for two things for Newsom and President Biden. God save them, and I pray for Biden almost every day. God save him or remove him. And so I'm just being honest, but I'm praying that prayer for Newsom. And he almost got recalled. And so God almost, uh, you know, we just saw something happen there that has been part of, I think, this reformation that we're seeing in our, in our nation. But the lawsuit was... Um, what happened was, is that we decided to open up when you guys opened up on May 31st on Pentecost Sunday. And um, when we opened up, I realized that uh, because our, we're in the most extreme left state, California, uh, that I knew that I was going to get in trouble with the city of Pasadena. And so I called Matt Staver, who was an attorney, helped us in the call, prayer movement with Liberty Council. I called him up and I said, Matt, would you just cover us? And he said, I'm not going to just cover you, but I want to encourage you, maybe pray about suing Governor Newsom. I said, why? Because if you're in litigation, they can't arrest you until, you know, everything runs itself through the courts. 
And so, you know, you could continue to meet. And, and then he's also shown discrimination because Newsom had just given the speech uh, saying, you know, here, there's no social distancing. No one's wearing a mask. 100,000 uh, BLM and TIFA people marching and destroying Fairfax. And yet he says, God bless them, the hypocrisy. He locks down the restaurants, but he goes to the French Laundry, and I've been to the French Laundry. It's like $400 per person to go to French Laundry, not including the wine. I'm just talking about the food. It's one of the most expensive Michelin three-star restaurant, and the hypocrisy that we were seeing with our governor. So I said, you know what? I don't even need to pray about it. This is no brainer. I'm going to sue him. And we sued him. But here's what happened, a year, a month after, so we sued him in uh, July of 2020, um, in August, I get a letter from our city prosecutor saying, uh, we're coming to arrest you, we wanna just give you this warning, we're gonna arrest you, we're gonna find your church members $1,000 per person for every week they've been meeting, we're talking about millions of dollars worth of fine, and the last paragraph said, we reserve the right to arrest your church members. And I said, we have come to Isaiah 4, 20. Woe to those who call evil good, good evil. Law-abiding citizens want to worship Jesus. We're called evil. But the people who are in prison are being released at the same time because of COVID crowdedness. I said, this is madness. This is crazy. And so Matt Staver got a copy of the letter from the uh, uh, district attorney in Pasadena. And he immediately... Uh, asked for emergency injunction at the district court. But again, elections have consequences. It was an Obama appointee judge in LA. It was by Zoom. There was no personal meeting with him. I met, met with him by Zoom. We're talking about a 10-minute meeting. He reads the letter, and he says, this letter is good. Your pastor will be arrested. It doesn't even have a chance to even argue the case. It was over. We appeal to the Ninth Circuit, and Ninth Circuit is, is one of the most liberal left appeals court in America. And sure enough, an Obama-appointed judge and a Clinton-appointed judge, you get by lottery three judges. The other judge was a Reagan-appointed, but I lost two or three. But for whatever reason, by the grace of God, it goes to the Supreme Court. In fact, you may not know this, we went to the Supreme Court twice. Now, you don't go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court picks you. But God is so good, he's so gracious that he wanted to keep me out of jail for whatever reason <laughs> that the Supreme Court weighed in on us on December of 2020 and said it was totally unconstitutional to arrest a pastor who wanted to open up 6-3. And then by February of 2021, we won again 6-3. Even John Roberts sided with us and said it was unconstitutional to lock the church down for any reason. In perpetuity, we set a presence and we can never be locked down again. The church has been essential for 2,000 years. Will we always be essential? And so, you know, that, that was just something that was just um, stunning for us. We just said, this is unbelievable that the Lord would use us. And, and I really believe you know, the eyes of the Lord look throughout the whole earth. He wants to show himself strong to you if your heart's completely his. Seriously, it's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. And, and that's what he's doing. He's raising you up. You're, you're part of the remnant that God's raised up for the greatest revival and the greatest reformation. So I am prophesying based on scripture, we're entering into the greatest revival, greatest transformation. But here's what I want to highlight. The statement in between, I'm going to shake all nations, I'm going to fill this house with glory. 
they will come with the wealth of the nations, which is very interesting. This is one of the verses which talks about what we call the great transfer of wealth. And I'm referring to Peter Wagner's book. He wrote a book called The Great Transfer of Wealth. And you see it in scripture. You see it in Proverbs that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, his grandchildren. The wealth of the unrighteous is for the righteous. It's going to be transferred to the righteous. We see in Isaiah 60, verse 5, we know about arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. But in verse 5 it says, and they will come with the wealth of the nations. Verse 11 says, your gates will be open day and night as they bring you the wealth of the nations. I like that because it means even while you're sleeping, you're prospering. So it's not about your work effort, being a workaholic, but you're going to prosper. Obviously, it's probably talking about investment, Passive invest, uh, revenue coming in without you having to work. And even in Isaiah 61, you will be called the priest of the Lord, minister of the Lord, and you will eat the riches of the unrighteous money. And what that means is, is that God wants you to be blessed too. It's not just for a kingdom advancement, but to bless you and your family. He's a good God. I mean, I'm a grandfather with eight grandkids, another one that's due in two months. And you know, I mean, they just have me around their figure. Whatever they want, I just want to bless them with and give to them. Everything they say about being a grandfather is true and more. The highlight for me is being with my grandkids each, each uh, time I'm back home and I, I have to see them, not to get my grandfather fixed. But if I, being imperfect, want to bless my children, how much more? Abba Father, our Heavenly Father, wants to bless you and me. So I believe that God is calling us and we're entering into what I heard the Lord say right before Easter, an epic season of transformation. Now, when I heard that, it was just in my quiet time, just prayer. I write in my prayer journal every day. I've been doing that for years. But when I heard that, I knew this is now April like 15, because Easter was April the 17th. I knew what we were all hoping for, we, we had a sense what's going to happen, but we didn't know for sure that Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned. To me, I can't think of anything that's more epic as far as social transformation than seeing the injustice of our time of abortion and the law that established abortion, which was a bad Supreme Court decision in the first place, get overturned. And so I wrote that in my journal. I said, I think I just heard from the Lord. It's a done deal. Roe's been overturned. Now, this is before political leak. This just... In fact, that Sunday at Easter, you can watch this on YouTube, I made a decree that Roe v. Wade's been overturned at our church, at Harvest Rock Church. And again, I wrote this in my journal. And of course, we found out that week, political leak, the Alito's uh, writings, that it had been overturned. But even then, we weren't sure until June 24th. But I knew we're entering into it. And so I asked the Lord for a sign. I said, Lord, okay, okay, so... I need some signs. I need some confirmation. I really heard you correctly because I don't want to make any decree or say anything unless I get some confirmation. Well, the first thing that happens is that on Resurrection Sunday, Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, it rained. Now, you may say, what's the big deal? Because you get rain all the time. But in California, we've been in a drought. It hadn't rained in months. And I just felt like this is just a kiss from heaven that would rain on Easter Sunday. And, uh, and of course, it's a metaphor for revival. It's Zechariah 9, 1, ask for rain in the latter rain. The blessing of God of Psalm 133 is like the rain coming upon Mount Hermon to the mountains of Zion. That's where God commands the blessing, life forevermore. 
And so I said, well, thank you, Lord, but I need more. <laughs> you know, I need more. It's like, you know, it's like us, you know, we throw out fleeces and, you know, we like Gideon, we're not satisfied with the first sign. And so the second day, a federal judge in Florida that was a Trump appointee said wearing a mask and having the CDC mandate masks in public transportation like airplanes and trains and buses is unconstitutional and all of a sudden the mask was off. Come on, that is a sign for me. Because again, I feel in many ways that mask is a metaphor to silence the lamb, the church. And, and so, thank God, because I travel a lot, and all of us who travel, we hate the mask wearing it, because, you know, like I was sharing this morning, that when I, the way you get around it is, is that you eat your peanuts very slowly on the plane, you know? You sip your water, you know? And it takes you an hour to eat just a, one bag of peanuts or pretzel, whatever, that they give you. But uh, that's the way I was doing it. And, uh, and sometimes it was, I would just put, when I wanted to sleep, I would just put a blanket over my head and take the mask off and just go to sleep that way. But I just hated the mask because we're made in the image and likeness of God. Your face reflects the beauty of God. And that's why I think it's demonic with a burqa, with a Muslim wearing a cover over their face. Because you're beautiful. And yet you can't see the beauty of an individual when they're wearing a mask. You can see their eyes, and their eyes may be pretty, but that's not all of who you are. Charles made an excellent statement that Moses saw God face to face, not with a mask, but face to face, and he wants that kind of intimacy. And again, I do feel something prophetic where he wants us to speak. We're in the Hebrew year of the pay, the decade of the pay, the mouth, the voice, and we need to speak that out. So anyway, that was another sign, and then... We entered into our conference. Uh, we have a global summit. Charles was one of the speakers. He speaks at it almost every year. And, um, and uh, it was an amazing conference. It wasn't so much bigger because we still have people who couldn't come from other nations because of the lockdown. So it was primarily people from the United States, although we did have Dr. Hong from Korea who ended up coming here afterwards. Uh, and we had um, uh, some others internationally, but majority of our people were from the States. But we had the best year financially. I mean, one person gave 100,000 just in an offering. We never received a $100,000 offering for a global summit conference. Another person gave 150,000 to Wagner University. Uh, he's the one who said, I want it in my language in French and I want to pay for it. And he just gave that money. And uh, that's why we're now translating everything in French. And it was just stunning. We had over half a million dollars come in in offering. And normally for a conference, our size is, you know, 200,000, 300 is wonderful, but over half a million was off the charts. We said, something's up. Yeah, give him all the glory because we're in this Haggai 2, 7 period where, and he's bringing the wealth for social transformation. It's prosperity with a purpose. Say that with me, prosperity with a purpose. It's prosperity with a purpose of advancing God's kingdom. It's uh, the covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. And verse 3 says, I'm going to bless you and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So we are blessed to bless the families of the earth. And how was he blessed? Well, read Genesis chapter 13, verse 1. Abraham was extremely, and it was before his name was changed to Abraham. So it was Abraham was extremely wealthy in gold, silver, and cattle. Commodities today, that would be worth a lot of money today. And so we see how God bless Abraham. And how many know we're all children of Abraham through Yeshua? 
How many know the blessing of Abraham is upon you? We're not under the curse. He has redeemed us from the curse of Deuteronomy 28, having become a curse for us, because cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, so that the blessing of Abraham will come upon you and me. Now, you've got to receive that. I'm prophesying to you right now. Receive that blessing from our father Abraham and God's covenant with him. And, you know, with Moses, it was a conditional covenant, therefore you have Deuteronomy 28. But with Abraham, there was no condition. It was a done deal. And of course, he brought forth the seed, Yeshua, and, uh, and through Yeshua is, is fulfilled. And so we are in that covenant of the new covenant for sure, but it's a carry through the covenant he made with Abraham to us to this day. And so what happened during the conference was is that the guy who gave 150000 said, uh, can I just have an appointment with you? And he's a new believer. He's a multimillionaire, very successful businessman out of uh, uh, Phoenix area. And uh, I only met him one time before, and I didn't even know him when I met him the first time. Uh, but because of his generosity, I wanted to thank him. So I said, yes, let's meet in my room, and I have an uh, office in our auditorium. Uh, and so we met there. And, and he said, well, the reason why I want to meet with you is I want to share an open vision I had when I walked into the Ambassador Auditorium. And I saw you in an SUV with, uh, with other SUVs, like Secret Service, like you were in a governor's car or, um, or in a caravan with like the president. You know, you've seen him uh, with the Secret Service uh, cars. They're all in an SUV. You don't know which one's the president's, but they're, they're all grouped together. And I saw you in that. And I immediately responded by, because what little I understand of dream interpretation is that when you see a vehicle, it's about ministry. You're moving forward in ministry. And um, when he talked about secret service and governor's car or president's car, uh, I've been involved with the government mountain. I mean, the last time I was here in 2020, I was mobilizing uh, the battleground states to vote biblically and register and vote and vote life. And essentially, I was mobilizing people to vote for President Trump. And I did that to all the battleground states, uh, ending up in Arizona. And it was so crazy because everywhere I went, I went to Detroit first. Trump came the next day. Went to Madison, Wisconsin next. He came the next day. Went to Harrisburg. He came the next week. And then I, I, finished, I finished with Goodyear, not Phoenix, not Scottsdale, not Tempe, but Goodyear, Arizona. And he comes to Goodyear because the airport's there for the uh, Air Force One. And that's where he gave his message. And I, I figured it out. Trump is following me. He's looking me up on Instagram and following me wherever I'm now. I'm just joking. I feel it's prophetic. How many of you know that the steps of a righteous man, righteous woman are ordered by the Lord? Psalm 37, 23, he orders our step. When you're right with God, he will lead you and guide you. And so it's just so refreshing to know but I'll be honest with you, I was also disappointed when he lost. Now, my opinion of the election was stolen, and I'm just sharing that. I know I get canceled by saying that, but I just am telling you. You have to see 2,000 mules of you. Trust me. But, but anyway, but out of all that, God is moving again. He is shaking everything. And, and by the way, the shaking is going to continue. There are two parallel tracks. The Bible talks about darkness covering the earth, deep darkness, but God's glory coming and the, and the Lord rising upon us. 
And so we see that because we, we know at the end of the age, he's going to separate, separate the sheep nations from the goat nations. So you're going to have goat nations, nations that are totally in darkness. They're blind to the gospel. Now, God desires all to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. But there are certain nations that have just closed themselves off. I mean, my, my prayers for North Korea because I'm from Korea. My dad grew up in Pyongyang. But I know what communism did because he got arrested as a pastor, 24-year-old single pastor, when Kim Il-sung took over. They immediately arrested pastors. And then they invaded South Korea to unite all of Korea under communism. And he was under Stalin at that time. And thank God for the U.S. forces. Thank God for President Truman for sending troops. And many of you may have experienced that or your parents did. Can we thank God for the armed forces that brought democracy to... South Korea. This is still the greatest nation in the world. I'm sorry, even though I'm from California, it is, I've been to over 90 nations. Not once have I ever said in all these beautiful nations I've been to, I wish I lived here instead of the United States. This is the best nation. It's been founded on Christianity and we're going to see America saved again. And so, but anyway, what happened was, is that he wanted to talk to me and he said, you, you know, I, I said, I've been involved in the government mountain. And he says, well, that's not my interpretation. My interpretation of the vision is that I'm to buy you a brand new Escalade. And, uh, and when he said that, you know, I, I, I don't drive big cars because we're in California and the price of gas and everything else. You know, I have a small Lexus and, and a Mercedes that the church leases out for me as a senior pastor. Uh, so I said, thank you, but no, thank you. I'm fine. I'm, we're, we're happy with our cars, and thank you. And, I, you know, I, it was a gas guzzler, one of those SUVs, you know, with a V8 engine. I, I said, um, the price of gas, do you know how much the price of gas? By that point, it was like $6 a gallon, by the way. In California, it's ridiculous. And he said, oh, I'm not finished what, telling you what the Lord told me to do. He told me to pay for insurance and to give you a gas card so you have all the gas you need here in California. I said, what the heck is going on? Is this real? Got to pinch myself to say, you know, is this for real, you know? Now, I, of course, I knew in the back of my mind it was because he just gave us 150000 Obviously, this guy has money that he could just buy someone he just met really for the first time, a brand new Escalade. But... Still, I had my doubts and my reservation because I've lived under the adage of it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true, you know? And so I was really cautious about it. But three months later, a brand new Escalade is driven up to my driveway and um, it's just stunning with all the bells and whistles, all the, uh, all the extras, all the options. We're talking about around a $130,000 car just given to me. And I said, this is a sign. I asked for a sign. Come on, we need to ask for signs, okay? I said, Lord, okay, we are in a time of epic transformation. So here's what I'm trying to say is that God is ready to open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing, not just financially, but on your marriage, on your parenting. I believe prodigals are gonna come home. I believe we're in the Acts 16:31 period. I believe on the Lord Jesus, you and your family will be saved. I believe that we're gonna see a turnaround in health that your health is going to be restored. I believe that what God says in 3 John 2, beloved, I pray you prosper, be in health, not just receive healing, but be in health, even as your soul prospers, is going to be realized by the body of Christ. In fact, the Romans 8, 19 says, the anxious longing of creation 
is eagerly waiting for the sons of God, the daughters of God to come forth. In other words, the world is waiting for you to come forth. They're suffering. You're the solution. You're the answer to the problems of the world. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And unfortunately, Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. One of the biggest things that has happened to the body of Christ, if you don't, if you, you, first of all, he will keep you from knowing him. So the God of this age is blind the eyes of unbelievers. But once you come to know, he will take everything possible to, to keep you from the revelation of, who, of your identity in Christ. That you're a son of God. You know, forget about the gender because I'm the bride of Christ too. You know, I mean, but we're sons of God. If sons, heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, let me give you Luke 12 through 2. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the whole kingdom. Just like Herod, you know, Antipas, when uh, his, his uh, niece danced for him, he said, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. Well, God is saying not half. I'm giving you the whole kingdom. Come on, take it all. Take it all. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What does that mean? The rule and reign of God, the blessing of God, of righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, some of you, I look out, you could use some joy. The apostle of joy is right here in the front. He's saying amen. I mean, you look like you're wearing tight underwear. You don't look too happy this morning. I'm just trying to tell you, you need an impartation of joy. It's the kingdom. How, how valuable is joy? How valuable is peace? How valuable is having imputed righteousness? Not only positional righteousness, but being holy as he is holy. It's a grace of God. It's a gift of God. But it all depends on your faith. That's why he said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? 